Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, come, Lord, by your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, that your word may be spoken this morning and your word alone received. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. It's good to, be, good to be with you this morning. If you're a little uncomfortable, you've got a new preacher up here, just remember that I never stand in front of a group without my robes on, so I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> but I'm following uh, local custom, and I'm glad to do it, uh, but it, it just makes me feel odd, like you're looking at my stupid sweater, and, and I'd rather have this white shield over me. Okay, at any rate. All right, you might know the story of Farmer Brown. You've probably heard this before. They didn't boo me at 8 or 9 o'clock, but they might have. Uh, At any rate, Farmer Brown, all right? He's a very wonderful farmer, good to his farm animals. He's a terrific uh, husband to the the animals and his care. And the animals are really appreciated. They decided, they get together, and they decided to honor Farmer Brown with making him a great breakfast. And they would all contribute something to the breakfast. And the cow says she'll bring the milk and the goats some cheese and the bees will produce the honey and the eggs will come from the chicken and then they all turn and look at the pig. (laughs) And they say, we're all contributing something. We need some bacon. And the pig says, you know, fine for you. You all make a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment. (laughs) All right, that's a illustration of what Jesus is asking in the gospel as he comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John and he asks them for a total commitment. Leave their families, leave their boats, their livelihood, their job, their homes, everything that's familiar, their village, and follow him. Now they know him a little bit, but they don't know where they're going to be going. He says follow and they get up immediately and off they go. And my question for us is, what do do we think about that call? Was that just uh, for the first four or the first 12? You know, he had to get a group around him, so it was kind of mandatory. This is what we're going to do. Do it. Surely that's not his normal call, right, for today? I mean, for Christians today, is that what we think? And my sermon is going to suggest that if that's what we think, then we need to think again. You remember the three fellows, there were three fellows that came up to him, and it's recounted in the Gospels, eager to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to the first one, you know what, I've nowhere to lay my head. You sure you want to do this? I mean, homelessness is kind of our agenda here. The second fellow comes up and he says, uh, my father is dying and I, I need to go bury my father and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says to him, it's a terrible phrase, remember? <laughs> Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. It, it, that, my following, that trumps family obligations. And the third one says, I'm going to go say goodbye to my family and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once he said to would-be followers, maybe more than once, but it's recorded only once as far as I know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his sister, his brothers, children, his family, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Remember, he said these things. He said, anyone who did not take up his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. 
In other words, if we're not willing to pick up the instrument of our death and carry it around with us, if we're not willing to die with him, then we're not fit to be his disciple. And after that charming invitation, he, he ended that with a summary statement, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I'm sorry, I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't write it. He kept saying it. He kept saying it. Remember the rich young man comes up to him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. And then follow me. And the guy goes away sad as well he might because he was wealthy. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Harder than for the camel to go through an eye of the needle. And they say, who can be saved? And he says, well, with man it's impossible. But God can do this. All right, so David Platt, a few years back, a, a pastor and author, wrote a bestseller called Radical. And the point of the book, uh, it's a short read. It's very engaging, and it'll make you mad, just like I'm maybe making you mad this morning. Um, he said that his point of that book is to say that the heart of Jesus' call, the heart of his call throughout the Gospels and to the church today is radical abandonment. And our reading from Matthew today isn't an odd call of Jesus. It is his call to leave the life we know and to serve him. And so what do we do with that? Okay, here's the thing. I was a lawyer for a long time. People tell me I preached like a lawyer, right? So the question is, have I made my case? Do, can, do, do we get it? Is Platt right? Uh, that radical abandonment, that's all we see in the Gospels. And so I would say it's undeniable that Jesus calls his followers to radical abandonment of our stuff, our agendas, our plans, our families even, our jobs, our very lives. And I think most, our most common reaction as Christians in the church is to rationalize it. He didn't mean it literally. Or, or we say, well, that was for then. That's not for our, that's not for, no, that's not in this world. Or we say something like, well, that, that was for the super Christians. You know, there's, there are layers, and that's a, that's a layer way above me. And it's not for the average Joe who sits in the pew. Or, I've heard this one, in fact, I think I've thought it once or twice, it would be irresponsible to do that. When I left law practice and went to seminary and took an 80% cut in pay, I thought, this is not right. <laughs> but, but it was right, but you know what I mean. We think it's not rational. In fact, didn't Paul say we've got to provide for our families? If you don't work, he writes, you don't eat. That's a good one. But you've got to remember the context in which Paul was speaking. He was speaking to folks in the church who were laying back and doing nothing because Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. And so why should we work? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. He's coming soon. And Paul was saying to them, That's, you're abusing other people. You're living off of other people. You need to work. He wasn't negating the radical nature of Jesus' call. You know Paul's life, if you know anything about it, it was a radical, a radical life where he suffered greatly and gave up everything for the sake of the gospel. So if we rationalize away what Jesus says, 
we're really redefining Christianity. If we rationalize away what he says, if we're elevating our own desires over his word, we're making him into something that we're comfortable with. And we are hardly in a position to call him Lord and Savior if we're ignoring what he said. Okay, so how can we say we believe in Jesus and ignore this word, which is repeated over and over again? And we said, some folks would say, well, you know, I love Jesus, and so that radical stuff, I don't know about that, but I love him. And well, you know, what did he say about loving him? If we love him, we will keep his word. Is, you follow me? There's like no wiggle room here. I wish, I wish it were different. He said, if we'll want to keep our lives, remember that, that one? If we want to keep our lives, meaning the way we're living and our agenda and our plans and our future, if we want to live our, live our lives and we'll die. But if we'll lose our lives for his sake and the sake of the gospel, we will have abundant life forever. So what do we do with this? I would say, in a word, we're in a mess. Are we not? The only way to follow Jesus is the way he defines it, and he defines it as radical abandonment, and if the standard is radical abandonment, how are we doing? Giving away the stuff of this life, dying to the world, even family. Boy, do we fall short. And I'm the foremost, right? I have three houses right now. I have two that I personally own, Becky and I, and then you all have rented a house, another house for me. I have three separate homes to lay my head in. And right now we happen to have three cars. That's because two of them have a combined mileage of 450,000 miles, and so we, we have a third one for when one of them dies. But you know what I'm saying, right? I don't go hungry. We don't live that committed in a way we fall short, let's just say it that way. And falling short is no picnic. Falling short is Amos this morning, our reading from Amos. God's people Israel had fallen short for centuries. They had fallen short. God gave them the law. He gave them Moses. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land, drove out the nations in that land. He did all of that, and he told them how to live and be blessed, which was to live under his law according to his rules, and they would be blessed and prosper. And they rejected him. They, you know, maybe for a month or two, six months, I don't know, but pretty soon they had plenty and they forgot about him. They violated the law. They didn't abide by the duty to love one another. They had pagan gods. They neglected the poor. They sacrificed their children in the fire. They rejected him. And so for centuries, God continued to come to them and sent them prophets and warned them about it. And finally, we come to prophets like Jeremiah and Amos, where God says to them through the prophets, basically, it's over. It's done. You're through. I'm done. You've said no to me for long enough. This is where I get the idea that you can say no to God, and he'll take your no, ultimately. They said no long enough, and God says, I accept. You're done. The Assyrian Empire is going to come down from the north, it's going to wipe you off the face of the earth, going to carry you off into captivity. And Amos here is using a series of metaphors. It's a beautiful passage. And all the metaphors say the same thing. It's over. It's too late. They're metaphors of finality. When the lion roars, when does it roar? He's got the prey. He's got it in its mouth. It's over. 
Death is sure. The trumpet sounds. When? When the city is falling, when its destruction is sure. He's saying the lion of Judah has roared. God has roared. Israel, your doom is sure. You wouldn't abandon the life that you wanted in favor of what God called you to, and it's too late to repent. So I'd say we're in a mess, right? Jesus was the model. He told us how to live. He gave us a picture of it. He said it over and over again, radical abandonment. We don't do it. We don't want to. So what's the end result, right? Do the logic. The lion has roared. We're dead. Let's go home. This is a Christian church, right? (laughs) We're not dead. We're not dead. We're sinners. And we know what to do as sinners. We, we, we're doing, you and I, we live the way human beings have always lived. From the very beginning, from the garden, God said, don't do this. And we said, no, thank you very much. I think I will. And that's a pattern that we have followed ever since. It's called a sin nature. And God's not surprised by it. He planned for it. We know what to do as sinners. We repent. Repent begins by acknowledging to the Lord that we, we fall short. We got a picture in our heads of what Christian life could be, and we don't quite measure up. We're not dead. We're just people that fall short, and we know what to do with that. We go to the Lord. Knees are good. We go to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I, I see your standard. I get it. I fall short. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Lord, I don't live like that. In fact, be honest with you, Lord, I don't even want to live like that. Can you forgive me? Have mercy. And then I would tack on to that. Knees are still good. One added little sentence. Lord, will you help me? Lord, will you help me? I'm willing to be more of a disciple, more of a follower of yours. I'm willing. Or if you can't say I'm willing, say I'm willing to be made willing. (laughs) I'm I'm willing to have you come into my life and do what you want to do. I don't know if I'm willing to go to the all the way, but I'm willing to go while you start. Will you come? Will you come by your spirit and empower me to live better and love more? What we must not do, what we must not do is to deny that there's a command, that there's a standard, that there's something that he's asking. We don't minimize or rationalize or twist or distort what Jesus tells us to do and to be. He calls us to be perfect. Remember that? Be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Give up everything for his sake and the sake of the kingdom. And we don't, so let's don't claim that we do, and let's, de- let's don't deny that he said it. Rather, let's act like Christians who know the grace of God, who know his love for us and his willingness to forgive, and get it that he knows our failures and failings, and he's provided for that in the blood of Jesus Christ. If we really get it, if we're willing to change or willing to be willing to change, he will come. 
by his Holy Spirit and begin to work in our hearts more and more. And you know what? This radical abandonment thing will start to be joy. It, it, it's the best life ever to be totally sold out to him. Give him charge. Just peace comes and, you know, heartache and <laughs> persecution and all the other things, but it's the best life. There is a life of meaning and purpose, a life of devotion to the Lord. All right, I'm going to end with this. You, you might have expected me this morning to speak about divisions in the church. You remember that little passage from 1 Corinthians that we read, one of the strongest statements in the New Testament against divisions in the church. And boy, are we divided, right? We split off. As, a, as the Anglicans, we split off in the U.S. from the Episcopal Church. The, there's in every Protestant division, uh, sub, um, denomination, if you keep up with it, there's a, there's a fight over basically over scripture. There's divisions all over between Protestant and Roman Catholic and within the Protestant churches and so forth and so on. Big divisions. But my message this morning is that those divisions, as bad as they are and as important as they are, they're nothing compared to the division that we each one of us have between how we live our lives and the model that Jesus gave us for living. We, we've got a problem. We have a problem. And the doctrinal divisions in the church are huge and vital, but they pale next to the existing division in our own lives between what we're doing and the pattern that Jesus calls us to. And the good news today, the best news, the best news ever, is that his blood covers that division. All it requires, all he requires from us is that we acknowledge that there's a division. That I'm not where I need to be. His blood covers that. And he looks at us and calls us righteous, though we're not. While we're still in our mess. And he will send his spirit and begin to work in our hearts and lives. We will be amazed at what he can do. Pray with me, please. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan for us. And thank you that it's a call. And Thank you that you enable in our hearts what you ask for as we make ourselves willing. Give us hearts to bow before you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.